0: second week of a new series called religion Uh, and it's pretty self-explanatory i want you to go back and kind of think through because most of us and we don't like being thought of as as religious people and so it's got this negative connotation to it and when you tell people like friends or family uh, and i mentioned last week that i was introduced at a family event i think it was like a thanksgiving dinner uh this is this is dan he's very religious And I thought, that's my rep. That's kind of the idea. And I thought, I don't want that to be what people think about when they think about me. But you know what? I I am religious. And maybe you are too. It's not necessarily a bad thing. What messes us up is that there is a pure religion and that there's a false religion. And when most people see religion and they think about that, and there's all these different religions. I mentioned last week that I, I just did a little research on the top 40. Yeah, 40 Different religions, there's like a bazillion of them, Uh, so that gets us confused a little bit because there's so many choices and there's so many things, and sometimes it looks convoluted, it looks it looks too complex. How many of you put a bracket together? How's your bracket holding up? Yeah, mine tanked like first day, and I'm trying to claw my way back, but you know it is what it is. But you know how that that works and. And you're you're looking at that, and you're filling in all the places, and, and you know, and trying to figure out which teams. And it's like this thing. And, and to me, that's a metaphor. It's like a picture of what religion can look like sometimes. So we're trying to make that a little more uh, simple and just clear uh, for those of us, whether you uh, consider yourself an insider or an outsider. Um, and here's the thing. That at least I hear because I'm you know when you, when you are with people maybe you're at a lunch or you're just hanging out with people and, and one of the questions if you get on a flight or wherever you are, people are going to say this. So so what do you do? And what they mean by that is your occupation. Oh, I'm a homemaker. I'm a mechanic. I'm an electrician. You know what? I I my answer is always What? I'm a pastor what i'm a pastor a preacher yeah i'm a preacher you know and and there's an immediate stereotype and so if you feel that that kind of that pressure like no wait 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 let me explain kind of a moment when people find out you're a christian and sometimes they have to do some research to figure out that you're a christian well mine's right up front in the very beginning of every conversation i'm a pastor Ah. Oh. And that brings along a stereotype and an idea people automatically kind of figure. And they put me in the place of their former pastor or what they've heard about him, or the ones they've seen on TV who are always real wacky and kind of crazy. So you know, so I automatically have to feel, at least I feel like, you know, I'm at a neighborhood event or I'm at a family party or whatever, that I've got this other hurdle to get past because it's not true. You know what, and I did that on the other side to people who, I knew we're Christians, and you felt that, and maybe you have projected that too, and here's the one thing, the big thing that probably I've heard more often than any other reason, and it is the reason that I used to avoid church, to avoid a confrontation with Christ uh, for a, a big part of my life, and check it out, Have you ever said this, or maybe you've ever heard this well, I would become a Christian. I like Jesus. I think he's pretty cool. You know, I, I would lean into that more or, or think about it if it weren't for all those hypocrites down at the church. I had somebody just say that recently. You know, I said, well, have you ever thought about spiritual things? or you ever, you know... Maybe think you might be. Yeah, but you know what? All those hypocrites and I'm defenseless when somebody says that. I mean, there's a part of me was go, well, that's not true. We're not like that. And I go, yeah. So, you know what I've just started saying is, yeah, you know what? Church is full of hypocrites. Absolutely. You got us. And to make it worse, not only is it like a room full of sinners and a room full of hypocrites, their pastor is like the biggest one. He's like the biggest hypocrite. And he's so, you know, and, and just like, yeah, we, we are. But then I asked this question. I go, but you know what? To be fair, isn't everybody? I've been to a lot of football games just like you, a lot of basketball and baseball games. And it seemed like it's always the same, but particularly in Nealon Stadium. And not just from the opponents. I hear our fans who are decked out in orange from head to toe yell and curse and call our players and coaches names and just be furious. I think, are you evolved for life? Yeah, I graduated here in 82, you know, and and they're just, and they're all about that. I think, then why did you just call Butch that name? You hypocrite. I'm never going to watch another football game for as long as I live. I'm not coming back to that stadium. Football can't be true. I mean, you know, and you think, well, you don't do that. Or basketball, if your bracket's busted, and you think, well, I don't believe in basketball anymore. Yeah, you, you will by next year. You see, we don't apply it to all these other places of life. We just sort of confine it here. But it bugs us. Here's an illustration. Here's an, you know, a kind of a picture for you. I just wanted to show you um, the difference between um, what, is, what is a genuine Christian and what is a hypocrite. We know, and sometimes we have a difficult time actually defining and pinning down what is it about it that bothers us about people who are religious, but they don't seem to be genuine. Because the thing I'm finding out is this, that my friends, my family, my neighbors, my coworkers, my coworkers, actually most of them are Christians. There's a couple of them. Just kidding. Uh, It's when we see that they're, they're not committed and authentic about that. Very, very, very few times have I ever engaged somebody in a spiritual conversation and they pull back if they think I'm, I'm real about it. No, it's when they see that we're fake, right? That's what bothers us. And you can try that this week. I know it takes some courage, but I'm going to encourage Just start a spiritual conversation with somebody and watch how that, and that was true in my life. There was never a time in my life that I did not like Jesus. From the time I was a little kid through my really, really rebellious teenage years, all of that, there was never a time you could say, you like? no, I don't like him. There's something about him. I don't like him. And No, I always was attracted to Jesus. I always felt like, wow, he is the model for a human being. But it was his followers that gave me a lot of problems. You know, it's like that. Because, for instance, these flowers, I can't say where they came from Let's just say it wasn't my own yard. (laughs) And let's just hope there's no arrest. They looked better last week, but I was sick and I didn't get here. So they've had a week to go. "Eh, We're tired now. This is a real buttercup. Or jonquil, or daffodil, whatever it is, wherever you're from. This is the real deal. These... Fake. They look real. And from a distance, you think, why, these are even prettier than those. But these aren't real. You see, that's the thing. When something's not genuine, when it's not real, that is called a hypocrite. When it gives the appearance of one thing, but that's not what it is. That's what a hypocrite is. When I read through the New Testament, it's kind of a little bit surprising to me that the harshest words that Jesus ever spoke... uh, it's like the toughest, and when you think about Jesus, and you think about all the beautiful and all the sweet things he said and how affection, just, just this model of, of love and grace that he is. But he had these really tough things to say to a specific group of people, and he reserved them for the most religious people on the face of the earth. Now, wouldn't you think that if Jesus is going to say something mean to somebody, it would be somebody way over here? But it wasn't. You know what? He said the toughest things he ever said to anybody, to the scribes and the Pharisees, who were at that time the most religious people uh, on the earth. But they were hypocrites. Hypocrites. So what does that mean? Let's break that down for just a moment and then, and then talk about that because I hope we can walk back out of here today going, you know what, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't, whether I'm real or whether I'm in or out, I, I don't want to be fake about it. I want to be, be genuine. Hypocrite uh, is actually two words put together. And it doesn't show up very often in Scripture uh, because it was really confined to one particular place in society. It's two words, hupo and crino, which means under judge, to be uh, under something, and it was literally um, used. And here's I give you a modern definition. You know, it's, it was a pretender or an actor in that time. A hypocrite is a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion, or it's a person who acts in contradiction to their stated beliefs or feelings. It's like you come across. This is what I tell you I am, but and behind the scenes, I'm something else. And where that picture came from, and Jesus was so brilliant because he would just pull from these different areas of life just like we do to, to fill in the gaps and to give us a bigger picture of what he meant by something. So he borrowed a word from Greek theater, and, it, and it's this word, hypocrite. And what it referred to was a person who was an actor uh, in the play. And what they would do is they would carve you know, out of wood or another material these big masks— and they would hold those up in, in, these, in these big theaters. And you see, they would have you know, an, a particular expression or emotion that that character was trying to portray. They couldn't do you know, zoom-ins and close-ups and things like that. So they would hold these masks up, and they would deliver their lines. And they designed the theaters, give you a shot of the theater, so that you could sit on the very top row of the outside. And the actor could stand on the stage, and you could hear them they would just project that well and it's just the amphitheaters were built in such a way that they could be heard. So they would give voice and this, you know, and those people were called actors or hypocrites. So Jesus takes that word from Greek theater where someone is hiding beneath and behind a mask. It's used in a verb form in Luke 20, 20, where it says they pretended to be righteous. It's the same word. It's a person with two faces. Somebody who impersonates or pretends to be one thing when underneath you're really something else. It's to play a part. It's to fake it. It's to put a mask over our real self so that our true identity is covered up. Some of you doing that right now. I don't know if it's always negative. I think we think of it as you know, this is a really sinful person on the inside, but they're trying to project an, an air of righteousness. And that's what we're going to really spend most of our time talking about today. But it could be uh, that you're pretending to be happy inside. You're really sad. You may be depressed or angry and you've learned how to suppress that and to put that away because you think, well, that's not attractive to people or they may, may not understand. So I'll just kind of that part of my personality away and I'll just pretend to be whatever it is you want me to be and that's happy or cheerful either way it's kind of the same thing but it's particularly destructive uh, when there's something underneath that's not what we're pretending to be on the outside so when Jesus is talking to these scribes and these Pharisees Uh, He spends an entire, uh, for us, what is like an entire chapter of the Bible. And when you look at something uh, in Scripture and you think, wow, it gives it that much attention, that much space to this one thing, and it's not even the only place where that's addressed, it must be a pretty important topic. And when Jesus' harshest words, things he said to these people that he never said to anybody else, it must be something kind of important. Jesus, in Matthew 23, he pronounced eight woes on these Pharisees and these scribes. Now I looked at this, and I broke them down, and I kept kind of tinkering with that and thinking, you know, how can I do these eight woes? And what a woe was, was like a curse or a shame on you for this, shame on you for this, curse you for this woe is you because of that you know and he he just kind of walks through those but if i just spent like five minutes on each one you know we'd go over and it'd take too much time so what i'm going to do is just kind of highlight some of those and just give some specific examples of what jesus was talking about because i think he you know he did these eight he mentions these specific ones i think he could have kept going don't you if he'd had more time or if the disciples would have said, you know, do you have any other things against the, the, them? I go, yeah, I could, keep, I could give you eight more and eight more after that. But he just hit these. So what I'm going to do is just give you some examples. Okay, I'm just going to go back in to, you know, what he was talking about and say, here's some of the things that he mentioned that really seemed to bother him or that he, he said, here's a, here's a great word picture so that you can see exactly what I'm talking about. And these hypocrites. He said, one of the things you do is that in verse 5, well, let me go back. Let's just, let me read. No, 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 let's just, let me just mention this. Verse 5, he talked about, he said, you do these religious deeds, and that's not the problem. I mean, I'm religious. I do a lot of religious things. I pray, I sing worship songs and old hymns, and I come to church a lot. In fact, I come just about every day. Uh, you know, I, I do these things that are religious. Jesus is okay with that. There's some things I don't do. You know, I don't really observe Lent. I just, I just tell you, I don't, I don't put ashes. I don't give up chewing gum or anything. And, I, and I'm not, you know, that's I totally respect you if you do that. I think it's a beautiful thing. And Jesus said there's nothing wrong with that. Religion in itself is not the problem. He said it's the religious activity when it's not. Real, And he said, specifically, when you do it to be seen by others. Not everything has to be showy. Not everything has to be posted on social media. He says, and you guys, what you do? He says, you do this to be seen by others. And He said, here's some examples. He said, you know, all the way back in the Old Testament, when uh, you were told to take these scriptures... And to write them out on linen or on parchment and roll them up and put them in this little leather box. And then take that and put it on your forehead, on your arm. That's called a phylactery. And they still do this today. Jewish people still do this today, but it was really, really a bigger deal uh, at that time. And you kind of show that real quickly. Yeah, there you go. Kind of just give you an idea of what that, you know, you think, wow, that's pretty prominent. And if you were to walk in somewhere and anybody's got anything on their face, you're going to see that, right? I mean, it's, and not that it's always insincere, but oh my goodness, if you want somebody to know you're religious, it's like right there. Hello. You know, and, and it's like, how would you talk to this guy and not just keep glancing up and going, Hey man, you got like a box on your head or something? It's right, yeah, right there. If you're not initiating, if you're not used to that, that culture. And Jesus said, what was meant to mean something and to have depth, you use it to show off. And you walk around and you make sure yours is seen by everybody. He goes, and another thing you do right after that, he says, you take the fringes on your garments and you make them really long. You make sure that everybody gets it, that you're religious. Now, what's he talking about when he says that? Well, in, in that day, there was a reference in the Old Testament. It's in, in the, the book of Numbers where uh, people were told in in numbers 15 in particularly, he said that, you know, you have these fringes on the four corners of your garments and here's the instructions of how you do that. And then in, num- in numbers 15, 39, he said, and when you see those fringes, you're going to remember all of God's instructions and you're going to think about all of God's commands and his guidelines. And there were 613 of them. And he said, and that's what's going to be a reminder of you. Now, we don't wear very many clothes with corners on them anymore you know we don't wear square clothes some of you do god bless you and but most of us you know we don't so what it's kind of come to is this now this is a tallit this is this is mine and this is this is a a prayer shawl and you can see it's kind of made uh, in in kind of a square or a rectangle and on the edges of this, you see, on, on the fringe of it, you see there's all these fringes that have been knotted. And particularly on the corner, there's these knots, which remind us of specific instructions and guidelines. And then there are these tassels, these fringes that hang. And this is used, you know, as, as a garment. It's used especially in times of... Prayer and in times of worship and in times of reading the Torah. So this is this is mine. Now, there's this beautiful picture of this. And, you know, I, I love some of the imagery that, that God gave us. For instance, in Malachi chapter four, verse two, and it says the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. You know the word for wing is the word for fringe. That's it. It's it's this. It's what I think he's talking about. Then in Psalm 17:8, he says, You know, you will hide me under the shadow of your wings. And there's this beautiful picture there. I love this. And and the, the, uh, you know, where, where, it's, where there's this covering and, and I'm afraid and you know like Psalm 91 I was reading this morning in my quiet time and he talks about how we can come to him we can hide under him and I can hide under the Lord and his shadow just his shadow over me his protection and everybody's so familiar with this because it shows up again and again and again in Scripture. And although we're not sure what he's talking about, when we see wings, we think about birds. You know, and we think about airplanes and we think, no, they're, they're thinking about these fringes. They're thinking about those. Do you remember the account of the woman? And she had this issue of blood. It's like, I try to be really delicate, but she's just like having her period all the time. All the time for years and years. And she could not get out. And she's just losing blood constantly. And nobody had been able to bring healing to her. And they had tried all kinds of things. For 12 years. And this is one of those events that was so powerful. That it's recorded in Mark chapter 5. Matthew chapter 9. And Luke chapter 8. It's in all the synoptic gospels. That each one record this event in the same way. Now, a woman is not supposed, especially if she's bleeding, is not supposed to touch a man. And you're not supposed to touch a rabbi. And you're just, I mean, just everything about this is so wrong. But she sneaks up. She kind of comes up behind Jesus. And she's thinking, if I can just touch the fringe of his garment, if I can just touch him, I know I'll be healed. And this happened again in other places in Scripture where people were seeking and said, just let us just touch. That's all we need. Well, she does that. She touches him, and immediately she's healed. And Jesus, as the disciples, he just stops. He senses something. He goes, who touched me? And Peter answered and said, Jesus, seriously, look at this crowd. You're just being surrounded, and people are pressing in. Everybody's touching you. Everybody. You're like a rock star. It's people are just pressing in. And Jesus is like, no, I don't mean like that. I mean somebody touched me in faith. And then Jesus said this, I felt power go out of me. And it gets real quiet and everybody's looking around. And scripture says this woman just throws herself down at his feet. I mean, she could be stoned right at that moment. She had done something just unheard of, just unprecedented. You're not supposed to do that. But she said, it was me. And she just throws herself down. And Jesus calls her daughter. And he said, your faith, has healed you go in peace Irene. go in peace all she did was just touch that fringe and that beautiful and the power of that these fringes these wings are mentioned in Psalm 91 and in Psalm 17 and 36 and 57 and 61 and 63 and in Jeremiah and in Deuteronomy Hiding under the shadow of God's wings and His protection. So there's all this beauty and this power in all of this, and this one little thing that speaks of who God is and His grace and His love and His healing toward us. And the Pharisees take something so precious. And they make it merely religious. They take these phylacteries with the word of God inside. That that just speaks truth and changes people's lives. And they take these garments with the fringes. And they decorate theirs. And they make theirs longer. And you see what they're doing. They're just surrounding themselves and creating within themselves this religious persona. Of something that was so meaningful. Now is nothing, it's just religion. Jesus said, I hate that. And I can't help but wonder how many times have I done that? How many times have I taken something that is precious and beautiful and powerful in God's sight and I've just turned it into something religious? I've done it with my quiet times. I've done it with church attendance. I've done it with a hundred other things and so have you. Pharisees took that and made it religious. and That hurts us. And I don't think there's anything that turns people off any faster than when they see fake religion. When they see that there's no power flowing out. And Jesus goes on and he says, you know, you can hear some other things. He goes, you know, you tithe. The mint and the dill and the cumin, when you start to eat, I don't know if you've ever had a herb garden. Uh, you know, my mother-in-law used to keep one out by the back door, and you know, we'd say, well, we need mint or we need something. You just go pick some, and there's this little, you know what the Pharisees would do? They would take that and go, oh, wait, before I eat this mint, you know, mix it in and put it into my food, I'm going to take a tenth of it and give it to the Lord. That's like you going to lunch today and getting a cheeseburger. And you think, oh, I want some ketchup and mustard and mayonnaise on it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put nine tenths of it on my sandwich. And then I'm going to just give a little squirt for the Lord. You know, it's, it's a condiment. And, I, and you think, really? And Jesus is saying, I can't believe it. You are so religious. You're so specific and so detailed that you're tithing the condiments that you use in your meal. But while you're doing that and being so legalistic, you're neglecting justice and mercy and faith. These big things that you just walk right past. He said, You will turn a widow who's broke and has no source of income out in the streets because you figured out a legal way to do that, and it's the right thing to do, even though it's not the right thing to do. He said, and he, and he used this, I think it's kind of a humorous thing. He said, you will strain at a gnat. And what he was talking about is that, you know, there are gnats everywhere. Just like, you know, I remember a spring break trip. We went on once to, I think it was St. Simons Island, one of those little islands off, you know, the Outer Banks on the coast over there. And it was really beautiful, and we loved it, except they had gnats everywhere. And we just, everybody's walking around like this, you know, the whole week. Think, this is really great, but I've eaten like 50 gnats in, you know, 10 minutes. There are these gnats and they would get into things. So what they would do is they'd take like cheesecloth or gauze and they would pour their wine or vinegar or whatever liquid it was through that and strain out any gnats that had gotten down in there so that it's as pure as possible. Why would you bother? Because the gnat was an unclean insect. It's not kosher to eat gnats. I'll show you a picture of the gnat. You guys kind of help me with that. Uh, They're just so small. They're just so small. So he says, you strain out one of these little gnats because you're so religious. That's unclean. I could never do that. He said, at the same time you strain that out, you'll swallow a camel. Isn't that ridiculous? And did you know that in, in, in the Mideast in that time and in that period, that's the biggest animal they knew about? I mean, Jesus just pulls this down. He says, you know what? There's nothing larger, there's nothing more ridiculous and overwhelming than a camel. That's like the biggest thing you can think of, right? And so they get this mental image and they picture it. You know, you're straining out a gnat and you're going to swallow a whole camel. Because you're a hypocrite. And I've seen that in us. I have seen that tendency in us. To make sure we don't do this, and we do that. I can remember, I grew up in a home where we didn't go to church and we weren't very religious. We didn't say the blessing. We, you know, we, we didn't pray. You know, we didn't talk about things a lot. But we had this huge white Bible on the coffee table. I mean, no kidding. It was like this thick and it was like this big. And it was real beautiful, and I think everybody had one back in that era, and you'd write birthdays and things on it. I don't even know what's ever happened to it. Maybe somebody in my family still has it. But we kept it there on the coffee table for a while. And I can remember you didn't come in and put your drink on that Bible. My mother would freak out. <gasps> don't put that on the Bible. It was like this superstitious, mystical, sacred book. And I get it. It, 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 it is but isn't that ridiculous that we was like, no, don't put your coke on the Bible, don't put a cup of coffee on the Bible. What are you trying to do? Curse us all. But it's like, but look what's playing on the television or the yeah, you know, and there's the it's not this magic book. It's it's life and it's something different. I think you get the idea, and there's probably better illustrations of of how we've done that. I use every morning just about, you know, I have a curry at my house. We have one here, and I, I have this, I have like two or three different mugs that I use, and I use the same mug every day. I used it this morning. I've got a red mug, and I just put it in there, and I make my coffee, and then when I'm done, I rinse it out in the sink. And, you know, kind of shake it out, put it right back in the Keurig. It's there every day. I'm so boring. I'm so, it's so mundane. But it's always there, and I just use it. And when somebody takes my mug, when I go in and my mug is gone, i got to drink out of some ordinary cup, you know. I, just, I, I go through the house, and I accuse people. And, I mean, it's, I'm serious. I'm like the Gestapo. Where is the mug? You know, and I know you have it, you know. And, and um, it's a big deal. But I just rinse it out. Now, never just leave the inside and just wipe the outside and say, oh, well, as long as the outside's clean, it doesn't matter on the inside. You think, well, that's ridiculous. Jesus said, you guys are like that. You clean the outside of the cup and you leave the inside dirty. Who does that? Because all you care is on the outside. And to continue that illustration, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs or sepulchres. And what they would do is once a year, uh, at least maybe there were other times they would all go down to the graveyard, to the cemetery, you know, to the to the funeral home, and there's these sepulchres. And and they would whitewash them. They would clean them up and they get all the weeds around and clean. Them. We still do it today, right? I mean we do that. We maybe you go to the cemetery and you put flowers there or on some holidays we'll put an American flag and we decorate. You know, and Jesus is saying, I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. He said, you guys are just like that. You're whitewashed on the outside. You're trying to take a place of death and make it beautiful. And there was nothing ceremonial about it. There was nothing significant spiritually about it. It was just for the appearance. It was just to decorate and to make it look nicer. He said, that's who you are. You're clean and you're whitewashed on the outside. He said, but the inside is just like dead man's bones. So those are some of the examples. I mean, he could, go, he could go on, but what Jesus is doing is he is distinguishing the difference between real religion and false religion. And what is genuine and what is hypocrisy. In Matthew 23, verse 3 and 4, he says this, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You know, people may not believe what you say, but they will believe what you do. I remember my mom saying... "Um, My parents smoked, and I remember trying to smoke once, and she was like mortified. No, you can't do that. And I said, well, you do it. She said, you do as, don't do as I do. You do as I say do. And even as a child, even as a little boy, I thought, that's not right. There's a disconnect with something like that. Here's the thing. The first people who notice our inconsistencies will always be the ones closest to us. For most of us, that's our family. It's the people you live with, maybe the people you work with, the people that are around you. And Jesus describes these religious leaders' tendency to require of other people what they didn't perform themselves. He says, you think you've sort of gotten to the place where you're above all that. Well you're you're you know you're not there anymore. So let me ask you this. Are there any contradictions in what you tell your kids and what you show them? What do you require of your employees or expect from your boss or your teacher that you rationalize in you or excuse or you feel like you can exempt yourself from that, but you still kind of require that of somebody else. I notice it in the way I drive. You know, I'll, just, I'll drive fast or I'll do this. And I see somebody else doing that on another day and I go, look at that car. I can't believe that. I think, yeah, well, I'm being a hypocrite. Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12 says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus distinguishes between pure religion and false religion by emphasizing humility over greatness. Another question. As time has passed by in your Christian journey, has it made you feel more of a servant, like more of a servant, or something else to others? Did you start to feel like maybe you've earned some rank, or position, or rights, or a certain status in the church, or in life? It's a good self-test that you can apply and go, yeah, you know what? I do feel like I'm more mature and I can kind of judge others a little bit or I feel like ah, God's going to let me slide a little bit on this because I'm, I'm here. I've been doing this for a long time or whatever. If that's happening, then maybe you've just gotten more religious, more hypocritical. That's all. So where do we go? What do we, let me just read just one of those scriptures to to emphasize how serious this was to Jesus and how it was a big deal uh, to, to him and it should be to us in Matthew 23 toward the end of this chapter. And I know I'm I'm missing so much in here, and you probably say, why didn't he mention that or talk about that? It's just, I just can't, but there's a lot, lot more in here that I'm not even touching. But look at this in Matthew 23, verse 33. Uh, he says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Keep in mind, these are the most religious people in the culture. And he calls them snakes. And he says, you're going to hell. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. And some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of uh, Berechiah. whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things are going to come on this generation. These are harsh words. I don't want to be one of those guys. So where do we go from here? How do we make this sincere and real and genuine? Where do we begin? Here's what I think. We begin at home and here Sunday morning worship at home and here at home and here and everything else is going to fall into place I, I just, I've thought about this a lot and I think if we get it right at home and if we're genuine there and, and if our families and our friends and the people closest to us can see wow she's genuine he's real he's not being a hypocrite doesn't mean you're never going to mess up, you're never going to sin, but it does mean this is real, and you're not just religious. And I think here is important, because I think if we can get it right on a Sunday morning, surrounded by other hypocrites and other religious people, we can get it right other places. Think of it like this. Let's suppose that you... You know, you're, you're kind of you're walking along, and a friend comes up to you and says, I'm so glad I saw you. I'm so glad you're here. We are having a party tonight. It's going to be huge. It's going to be a great party, and it's in your honor. We want you to be the guest of honor. What? Me? It's not even my birthday. No, we want to celebrate all your accomplishments and all the cool things you've done and just you being you. We think you're so awesome. We're having a big party for you tonight. Will you come? You go, well, yeah, I guess. Sure, I'll be there. I'll be there. So you go home, you wait for it, and you get ready, you wear your favorite stuff, you know, and you get to the party, and sure enough, there's a crowd. There's a crowd of people there, and they're all celebrating. They're happy, and there's balloons, and there's streamers, and party things, and refreshments, and there's a big old cake with your name on it. And you're just so excited. Who's ever thrown you a party like this? And you're walking around, so you go up to one group of people, and, um, and, you, and you try to mingle. You, know, you try to talk to them, but they're kind of not paying attention to you. They just sort of ignore you. You know, that's kind of weird. So you walk over to another group, and they're just looking at their cell phones, and they don't seem to be interested at all. So you walk over to another group, and you just kind of listen in for a moment. And maybe one guy says, yeah, the only reason I'm here is because my wife made me come. You know, they have great activities for the kids, and I'm sure it's going to be a good party, but that's why I'm here. I'm just waiting for it to be over, and then I'm out of here. Oh, well. Well. Why did you come to my party? And maybe you step over to another group, and you're just listening in. And maybe, maybe there's a lady there, and she says, "You know what? This is a go-kart party, but I've been to parties that are so much better than this. There's a party down the street, and the way they party, they know how to party. This party doesn't really party as good, and I've been to a lot better parties than this." And we do, and you just kind of and you so maybe finally you make your way over to the host and you and you find find this person you go hey this is really awesome thank you so much for a party in my honor I can't believe you did this I would like to say a word to everybody if that's okay I just like to I've got something I want to say and maybe the host gets really uncomfortable and feels real awkward and goes ah uh, yeah ah uh, you know what I don't think we can do that I really don't – no we're not gonna. You speaking to everybody, probably not a good idea, but I'm so glad you're here because actually we do have some things that while you're here and you do so many, so many great things that we're going to ask you to, you know, um, like that guy over there needs a job really, really badly. If you could get him a job, he could use a job and she needs an A on her exam tomorrow because she's been on spring break uh, down in Cancun or somewhere all week and she hadn't studied and now she's got a test tomorrow. Could you just give her an A? And, uh, and that guy's really down his luck and you know he just can't pay his bills. He, could you pay? Could, he needs some money. And she needs a promotion. And all of a sudden it just kind of hits you. This party's not about me. They're not here to honor me. They just want party favors. They want me to do things for them. Maybe you'd leave that party kind of disappointed. I wonder if sometimes that's what Sunday morning looks like. We call it worship, we don't want it to be a production. We wanted to be something genuine and sincere. One of the things that attracted me to Christ was that there were a few times when I was first introduced that I went to worship services that I could tell it was real to the people who were involved. And that fascinated me. It was an interesting thing. I hadn't seen, maybe I'd been to concerts or other events where people were emotional and ball games and stuff like that, but this was different. It was worship, and it was real, and there was something compelling about that. I've been in the same kind of situation otherwise, where I go in and go, these people don't care. This is just a habit. This is just a religious routine. Why do I want to buy into that? That's why I say if we get it right at home, and if we do it right here, if we're not hypocritical in those two, the rest of it, it's going to take care of itself. Are you tired of just being religious, just being a hypocrite? Today, now, we have an opportunity to open our eyes to this and to see that this one thing that bothered Jesus so much and bothers other people so much, we can change. And all you got to do is just be yourself and just be real. That's it. Would you stand? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your grace in our lives. I thank you for how patient you've been with us. I thank you for how you've loved us year after year, moment after moment, how you breathe life into us and how your very breath is in us. Father, I pray that we would be people who are authentic. You've given us this chance every week to begin a brand new week, fresh and sincere. Sometimes we've made it more about the event than the one for whom the event is really all about, and that's you. Father, I pray for your forgiveness as we repent and as we seek to be real, not fake, not phony, not hypocritical, not just religious. Thank you. We trust you, and we submit and surrender ourselves again to you today, fresh and new. In Jesus' name.